Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Sunday School, a Bible study podcast brought to you by The Pillar. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. I'm joined in this very special episode by um, my Sunday School partner, our executive producer, Kate Oliveira, and our Sunday School teacher, Dr. Scott Powell. If you listened to our last episode, you may recall that I was vexed, uh, vexed and confused and somewhat discouraged by uh, our reading of Romans 5.20. Aren't those all synonyms? Vexed, confused, and discouraged? Yeah. Wouldn't taken all together, wouldn't that be vexed? I'm not trying to cause another well, fight. Well, I guess this not is some to... more vexation for me. <laughs> we have to, to do, to we have to do another episode to unpack this. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to a very special mini episode of Sunday School in which we talk about vexation. Hey, no. Yes, those are synonyms, Scott. I was making a little joke. I, I was making a joke, too, and I yes. thought you were redoing the Good, whole I'm thing. I'm glad because... we're making a joke. I'm glad we can joke in this difficult moment. <laughs> I'm... In the last episode of Sunday School, you may, have noticed, high. <laughs> you may have noticed that I was a little bit vexed, discouraged, or the other thing, um, during uh, our conversation of Romans 5.20, mm. and, and really just I had a hard time understanding what the what St. Paul was trying to say. Um, you might recall, Scott, maybe if you would read the verse for us. Yeah, so we were um, right at the, the very tail end of chapter 5. Uh, Law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I got a little bit hung up in the last episode on this notion of law came in to increase the trespass. Almost sounded like the purpose of the law was to increase the sinfulness of Israel, and I had a hard time understanding that. So Scott uh, did a generous thing and has spent almost the entirety of the week. He canceled classes. He has been living in his office, you know, sleeping under his desk to read through, com- pour through commentaries and try and offer me some sort of enlightenment on this. But the main reason we're doing this is just because... That's n- none of those things are true. We left those questions lingering. I, I, like, re- I did, did a little research. You did a little research. We left those questions lingering, and um, we want w- the reason we left even that in the show, we talked about should we take that out of the show, is it weird? But we, we wanted to sort of demonstrate that one thing about reading Scripture is at times it can be vexatious. It can be hard to read through Scripture. And so what we're going to do today is Scott's going to sort of work through some of the things that he sees in this and some of the ways that we might look at it. But at the end of the day, we, we're we not sure that we'll come to a sort of firm conclusion. And one of the things we wanted to sort of just demonstrate is in reading scripture, that's that's okay. Right, Scott? It's, I think it's more than okay. I think it's almost disingenuous when we don't do more of that. I think it, I think it's something that la- that's lacking um, probably in Christianity in general when we engage the scriptures. I think that what tends to happen with a lot of folks, it's it's hard to not just overgeneralize and stereotype everybody, but what tends to happen with a lot of people who want to study the Bible, and this exists in academia, it exists all the way down to like a parish Bible study. When we come to things that are confusing or that don't make sense, we want to do one of two things. Either on one level, we want to try to find a quick and easy way to explain it away so it can fit into a nice category we have. Or the other extreme is to kind of ignore it and read past it and sort of forget that it's there, right? And those are those are the extremes, which is the opposite sort of, of, of the culture that the Bible comes to us from. And, the, the, and this still exists in Judaism in a really big way. It's a cultural part of studying Torah and Judaism. This is probably the way that Jesus did it, that St. Paul did it. Um, that the apostles would have engaged it in a lot of ways is a lot more freedom to disagree, to wrestle and be confused. And I want, I mean, if nothing else, we've, we've all talked, we want to, as people, if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, uh, to some degree, you take the Bible seriously. You're curious about it. You want to know more about it. You want to engage it more or else you wouldn't be listening (laughs) this far into this. Um, And so we want to give you permission to wrestle through things and to not, you know, come to, I, I think, 
part of what JD's confusion over a point that I had kind of taken for granted caught me off guard. Even as, as an academic with a big head, I was like, wait a second, I don't have a quick, easy answer for this thing he's pushing back on because I, you know, I, I was reading it this way and this is the way I read it. And now he's saying this other thing and I don't quite know what to do with that. And I, I kind of got freaked out, which again, the whole beauty of the script, this isn't that big of a book, but it's meant to be something that human beings engage for the entirety of their lives. Yeah. And if it's the size, you know, of a very short Dostoevsky novel, then that doesn't, that's not going to take you your whole life to unpack. But it's more than that. And it's deeper than that. And there is a whole lot of stuff that you can't, this is the, the thing. Once people start getting into serious study of the scriptures, especially if they're Catholic, <laughs> that we tend to get really really uh, frustrated by is that there's not like a cheat sheet. Like, okay, well, what does the church teach about this verse? Right. There's not like an answer book where we can, there's a lot of things the church is very clear. Like, this is what we believe about this principle and about this thing. But is you can't go verse by verse and be like... Sort of, yeah, there, is there a sort of, the church's magisterium draws from scripture, but it's not like there's an authoritative interpretive text to go along with scripture that tells me what each part means from a Catholic not an exhaustive one not one that's exhaustive in any way and that it is frustrating again as as people who part of what i think draws people to catholicism in a lot of ways is this understanding that the world's not completely a mystery we're not completely left on our own that there is a framework that there is a hierarchy that there are you know standards and and there are answers out there and yes i I still firmly believe that but there's a lot of the scriptures that we just are still trying to understand and we're trying to unpack and i don't and i've yeah i have done a a good chunk of study this week part of it was comforting when i was pouring over different commentaries to realize yeah oh i kind of forgot that everybody's confused by this and there's different schools of thought but the conclusion if i come 20 is somewhat vexing for a lot of people for everybody wow cool and that is sort of the, there is a universal and it was again that was it was weirdly comforting to come to it and be yeah. like man did i misspeak on the podcast did i say something did i kind of forget something i should have learned a long time ago i wondered if my concern was like no um, overblown no. or if i was no. just, you know so i'm glad to hear that this is a point of stumbling it's it's a yeah i'm not willing to go that far but it's a point of yeah, no, fine, fine. So point is, let's let's do it. But again, I, I really want to emphasize this point that coming out of Judaism is this tradition that we should feel a freedom to argue over scripture. You should wrestle over things. We should push back on each other. Otherwise, you know, so say the ancients, you're not really engaging with it. You're just kind of reading it and you're just kind of passively taking it in. Yeah. And the scriptures aren't a book to be passively taken in. They're a book to be, it's like Jacob um, when he's going back to Israel, right? In the wilderness who wrestles with God mm-hmm. and he comes out of the wrestling match with God. You remember the story in Genesis? He comes out of the wrestling match with God limping probably for the rest of his life because it's hard to wrestle with these things. And it should it should take an effect on our lives. So all of this is to say um, we don't want to apologize for kind of getting confused and a little bit tense on the podcast. This is right. This is how it should be. Um, there's a reason that people specifically have fought over the book of Romans for so long. So it comes back to the question. So and what we just want to take a few minutes to just kind of touch on because I I I don't a hundred percent know what to do. There, there's some different schools of thought. Okay, what what is Paul saying here? Law came in. So. Um, Paul has made this whole big argument about who Jesus is and how he has reconciled what was broken with humanity and that the nature of sin is universal, that both Jew and Gentile are subject to it, that there's no amount, I think one of the principles that comes out of those chapters is that no amount of adherence and faithfulness to the Torah is going to rescue us from the problem of sin. 
That's just the reality because of its universality. Thanks be to God, Jesus has come in to fulfill Torah, to rescue us, and to establish the multi-ethnic family of Abraham that was promised from the beginning, right? Um, so then the natural question is, well, what about the law? Like, what do we do with that? Was that, you know, it was it was there for all these hundreds of years. Why did God do that? And he comes to this kind of weird, almost throwaway conclusion. He's going to unpack it more in chapter seven. But again, it's not that satisfying in chapter seven, quite frankly. It's not that much more satisfying. But this one little line, again, has, has really has vexed scholars continuously. And there's different schools of thought, but this law came in to increase the trespass. Um, the only other time that that phraseology of the law came in, um, the only other place that occurs, the, the way that he says it, the verb, is in the book of Galatians, where he talks about um, bad teachers kind of sneaking in underhandedly into the church to undermine Paul. I'm not saying that Paul is suggesting that the law is undermining, but it's just the only other occurrence of that yeah, right. way of saying it. Right. Yeah. And so scholars have said, well, what, what does that mean? Like, right. is it kind of snuck in? Yeah. Because then he'll, again, he'll spend most of chapter seven again and again and again and again, going back to the fact that law is good. The Torah is good. The problem is not the Torah. The problem is that sin has hijacked what is good to lead to things that are bad. And that God allowed that. And the, again, the problem with chapter 5, verse 20 is that God seems to see this coming. There's, again, one of the questions in scholarship is, is this simply an observation of what has happened or is there intentionality, right? right. Law came in and sin happened to increase. It's just stating a fact of what happens. Or, and actually what the grammar more closely suggests, which is harder to deal with, harder. I wanted it to be like, oh, it's just stating a fact. Law came in and sin and yeah. sin increase. That's yeah. just a, a statement of fact. I can swallow that. But that's really not the sense that the Greek gives. It does mm. give a sense of intentionality and not to put words in God's mouth, which we know because then it, God knows what's going to happen before it happens, right? And and so what do you do with this then? And so again, lots of different ways around this, but the, the reality is law came in to increase the trespass. One of the things to note in verse 20 is that trespass is in the singular tense. So what it, what it doesn't seem to be saying is that law came in and so there's a whole bunch more sins because that's actually not been his topic of conversation. His topic of conversation has been the sin of Adam. And so the law came in and the law coming in increased or N.T. Wright, a scholar that I really like, talks about it as the law puts a magnifying glass on the problem of the sin of Adam. It magnifies this reality and it makes it worse. You could argue, again, and, and he'll say this in chapter seven, that the more laws we have, the more laws there were to break. And that's not untrue. That is true. And again, you can follow it logically. That's that's what happens. Um, so there's two things. There is what happens and there's what is God doing. And what happens is there are just, again, there's more laws and there's more sins. That's the story of salvation history. That's the story of Israel. But then again, why, why would God do that? That just seems mean on the part of God. And what Paul's conclusion is, is that, yeah, no, the law, which is good, fundamentally showed a magnifying glass on the problem of Adam and demonstrated to us that we can't save ourselves and that the law alone cannot save us. That's what he says. He doesn't unpack it a ton further than that, other than to move into the new law of the Holy Spirit, which is, again, a different kind of law. Um, but it, 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 it's been leading me to the question that I've just been mulling and kind of wrestling with all week, which is, and again, I, I don't, I don't, I, I know we want to limit this idea, so I don't want to have another hour long podcast on this, but it does raise the question of what do we mean by law? And you're much more of a scholar on the law than I am. And I, 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 I claim some ignorance, but I mean, 
I just want to put it to you guys. When you hear the law, when you, and you're a lawyer and I'm a biblical person, um, Kate, you're just a holy editor. person. Yeah. When you hear it, take <laughs> this You're an executive producer. <laughs> but you're someone who's so. striving for holiness. If you take this conversation out of it and you just hear the word law, what do you think of? What's a law? Where do we readily encounter laws? Um, just legally in our day-to-day, there are laws like traffic laws. Yeah. That's a very simple one that I kind of encountered on the way here. So. And where do traffic laws come from? From the government. Yeah, legislation, right? Legislation. We vote on things. We have an election coming up, right? And I'm assuming there's going to be a bunch of statutes and ordinances, which are kinds of laws that we legislate. So it's it's people. So on one sense of law, the way we most often encounter it, it's sets of people who make agreements on how they're going to live together in the polis, in a society, in a mm-hmm. city, right? Mm-hmm. There's some that are unique to certain populations, right? Like like speed limits, although there's there's universal principles, Um like that's a, lex. That's a legal notion of a lex. Oh. A lex came in to increase the trespass. Uh, an, an ordinance of reason, presumably, but a, a, okay. a norm. Okay. There's a fuller sense of law, which we think about as sort of use, which is where we get the word justice or... Justia, yeah. You, you used yeah. To, use justitia, yeah. Um, and that sense of law is uh, can, can have a normative character. It can impose things on us, but it also describes right ordering, right? So it means for us both rights and obligations... And it means for us rightly ordered relationships between one another in which our own sort of dignity and and sort of end, uh, our, pur- our purpose is respected and understood and reflected in the sort of proper ordering of the, of the relationship between things and persons. So the question then becomes to me, and again, I don't know the answer to this. I'm just throwing Paul all this out. Lex came into increase. No, oh, okay. no, I know what Paul means. What does he mean? I, Paul means the Torah. Paul means Deuteronomy. Paul means the 613 or 611, depending on which rabbinic school you follow. 611 or 13 laws of the Old Testament. I know exactly what he means. The question is, what is that Torah? What nature of law that we're talking about? Which one is it? And I think you have to argue that it's both. That's a really important question. That's a re- that's what I've been wrestling with all week. Right. That's what yeah. I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around. Yeah. And that's not as easily solved as you think no, it would it's be. Not. Yeah, of course. Because not. there's yeah. six hundred and thirty. Right. I, I discovered a, an issue in the Talmud. I, I didn't know existed before. There's a debate among some rabbis about whether six hundred eleven or six hundred and thirteen. Yeah. Have we talked about the idea that again, there's no numerals in Hebrew, so every yeah. letter has a number value? No. Have we not talked about we that? We haven't talked about no, that. Oh my goodness gracious. No. So Hebrew has no numerals. That's why, is that why, <laughs> is that why dreidels have letters on them? Yeah, they're actually, well, yes. Okay. Uh, absolutely right. Yes. No, that's absolutely right. The reason I'm hesitating is that when it's being used that way, they're numbers. Oh yeah. They're, the, they're one and the same. Yeah. So for, for a Hebrew, if you're looking at letters, you're looking at numbers. You're looking at the same thing. Because they're they're both. So the number one is Aleph. The number two is Bet, right? Each letter has a number value. So can you do Bet plus Aleph equals? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I can't, my, my Hebrew alphabet is, is failing right, me at the moment. but you can do that. Yes, absolutely you do that. So um, uh, there's a whole lot of things. In the Gospel of Matthew, remember there's that long genealogy at the beginning of Matthew? Yeah. Uh, there's three sets of 14 chunks of names in those genealogies. The number 14 is the numeric value of the name David. DVD is actually numerically the number 14. So really what Matthew is saying about the birth of Jesus is David, David, David. Three times he's kind of saying this. So all this stuff is built in. But all that is to say the numeric value of the word Torah is 611. Oh, but Mm. then where did 613 come from? There's a debate over two of those laws kind of seem either – 
duplicated or oh. not quite. What would the word be if it was 613? Oh, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't okay. know. Yeah, off the top of my head. Thanks. Thanks, Sorry. man. Thanks for pointing out. What letter comes stupidity. two after H? Stop it. <laughs> I don't want to, is this it is vex? not the point of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the point of the conversation. But um, but even that six, and actually the discrepancy comes with, you know, those laws have to do primarily with thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? Yeah. The, the norms. There's two that, again, some rabbis kind of qualify. There, there's the I am the Lord your God, which is not really a thou shalt. It's just sort of a statement. But some rabbis consider that a law which is weird to think of that as a law. It's just a statement, but it implies, therefore, like you you don't have other gods, you know? And there, I think the other one is the Shema prayer. I am, the Lord is one. Anyway, this is a debate we don't have to get into, but the nature of the law. So there's 600 of these laws. They show up, you know, you got kind of the top 10, right? After you come out of Egypt in the Exodus, they're given the 10 commandments. Um, and then they're given, you know, I think it's like 42 on top of that, that are all like, okay, what should life look like? So there's the, the Ten Commandments, which are moral law. Um, and then there's a bunch of others that are like, what should life – here's how you celebrate festivals. Here's Much more specific rather than – Like really specific mm-hmm. down to like here's what kind of furnishings you're to put in the temple and here's what kind of stonemasonry and what the priest dresses – you know, what, what he dresses in. we make a distinction between natural law – we can make a distinction between natural law and what we might call divine positive law. Yeah, but I don't think the Jews would. That, right. And that's where this get, that's where this gets tricky because yeah. I think is our our kind of Western mindset. I don't want to blame it on what, being Westerners, but the tradition that we come out of, which is that of the Greeks, frankly, wants to to parse these things out. Right? There's these yeah. kinds of laws, and there's these kinds of laws. When Paul talks about Torah, I, I don't get the sense that the Hebrew mind is so willing to compartmentalize. Yeah. Right. It's just Torah. God that, said this. That would be true for – so we've made this analogy when we've talked about the Pharisees before, but mm. I make these distinctions between natural law, what I would call divine positive law, and then what I would call sort of merely ecclesiastical law, right? And 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 maybe the Pharisees, you pointed out, who make all these laws around the laws would not make those kind of distinctions either, right? They would see they their laws as being as important as the – Well, here's why though. There's a reason for that. Again, I've mentioned the Babylonian Talmud a few times, which yeah. is really where most of these Pharisaic laws come from. But the idea is there's all of these things you have to dress this way and put that furnishing in and bring a grain offering in this manner, right? In addition to treat the poor this way and the widow, you know, there, there's ways to treat other human beings. And there's like, here's how you cut up a calf, you know, there's there's the, all manner. Um, once the temple, most of them have to do with the temple, or at least hundreds of them have to do with how do you approach the temple? How do you go in? What furniture do you put in there? And so once you lose the temple, first by the Babylonian exile and then later by the Romans, the question is what the heck do you do with those laws? And right. so what the Fer- what the group who became the Pharisees did is say, well, crud, we can't do these things. And God commanded we do these laws, but we don't have a temple. So how do you do them anymore? Well, what? let's go backwards and let's see if we can draw principles out of them. What are the mm. universal principles yeah. of what God's saying? Let's take those principles and let's make tens of thousands of new laws based on the universal principle right. to say how we should live without those specific things. So, and we, so I, my family that lives very far away from a church, yeah. so we can't genuflect in front of the tabernacle, but I instill sure. in my children the discipline of bowing in front of a cross in our Sure. In our home because it sort of reflects sure. the same. Okay. Or, or, or take it more specifically. There's no Levitical priesthood anymore because yeah. the temple has been stripped away. Mm-hmm. How do you give a tithe to these Levites who don't exist? Well, maybe something about the way that we care for the poor yeah. is sort of living out the principle that right. God's suggesting. Uh-huh. Or, you know, it talks about on the Sabbath day, you can't make a fire, you know, but – but what about all these other things? Can you actually cook food? Can you put the wood together to make the fire the next day? Like, so tens of thousands of laws come. But but it's not because they're just a bunch of hypocrites who are, you know, 
um, legalistic in this right. way. It's trying, and that's why this question is harder than it seems. Yeah. Where is the line between um, what are just the sort of ordinances and statutes that interact, you know, that, that define how you live in a polis together, and what are the universal things? They're having a harder time in the tradition making those distinctions. Yeah. But a lot of what that's suggesting is that, number one, those are not all universal. And that's what the church comes to in Acts chapter 15 when they goes to the Council of Jerusalem. And they're like, well, a lot of these things are not binding any longer. They were never meant to be universal. We're not breaking these laws, but we, we're understanding the nature of what God was doing is different. But if you, if, you, if you go beyond that, so I mean, there's a whole question of what is the law? What do you do with that? What does Paul mean? Again, I don't know if Paul's thinking universal law versus ritual, societal law. I, I, don't, I don't think he's parsing that out. But that is important because these things are all part of what the Torah is doing in the time of Paul is pointing to all the things that we can't do which is highlighting the problem of sin. It's highlighting the weakness and the humility of all the stuff that we're not able to do. And the Torah is shoved in our faces, highlighting the fact that we can't do what the Torah asks of us, either because we're too weak or there's just simply the object of the law. I mean, <laughs> if you, I, I don't know, this is a stupid analogy. If you're impoverished and you desperately want a car and you can't afford a car and you can't get to work and people keep yelling at you about changing speed limit, you know, laws or something that's going to be like rubbing salt in a wound yeah, a because you're like, I can't do that thing. That's just yeah. what, what I thought of. But all of this kind of leans back to another question, which again, maybe this is where to leave it. Cause I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. Um, if you're thinking about laws though, and we're thinking about divine laws given to human beings that have punitive aspects to them. What is the first example of this? What's the first law? I suppose. What's the first thou shalt not eat the fruit, eat the fruit. Okay. Eat the fruit of the tree. <clears throat> but, I was like, go back further. But this <laughs> is important though, Kate, because this is the fact that Paul's going to lean on Adam and the sin of Adam. He wants that narrative in your mind. And he wants you thinking of law in that, in that sense. And I, I think we all know a lot of people who have wrestled with this idea of yeah. the tree in the garden. Why does God put this thing that they're just going to sin against? He says, right. don't do this thing. Why would he do the thing if he knows, if he's all knowing that they're just going to fall? Could you say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is not about knowing about good and evil. It's the idea of arbitrating good and evil. I will decide what is right and wrong. It's making ourselves the law arbiters, right? The ones who give divine law. Um, but it does beg the question, like, why would you put this thing in the midst of the garden and then say, don't, don't do it? Right. Is that the tree coming in to increase trespass? Isn't that it's just God saying, like, well, here's this thing. Don't do it. And we know they're going to do it. Well, Did this the is a hard question, right? This is a hard – but that's yeah, the question God redeems at the, the heart fall of it. Yes. By, in in by the incarnation. Who? Yes. By G that, yeah. And that's Paul's whole thesis here. Yeah. And, it, and, of course, that's in the foreknowledge of God. Yeah. Yeah. But this question of sort of what was the – with that in the foreknowledge of God, the sort of question of what would have been the virtue of Adam and Eve observing the law as revealed to them is a is a is a is a hard one. That's a hard one because one assumes that the right thing for them to do, yeah, such that we would not have inherited sin, right? Is to observe the law. Yeah. But what does the tree then do? It highlights for us the problem of sin. Why do we have it in the narrative? Why is it put in the divine text? Because this tree, which is an ordinance of God, is highlighting. It's magnifying the problem of sin. Why is life so hard? Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? Ah, oh, it's because of that tree. It goes back to that. It's not the tree's fault. It's not the fault of the tree that we have sin, but the tree was the catalyst. Yeah. The sin was the catalyst. And th again, this is where we're yeah. back to the like, hmm, that's a hard question. Yeah. But that's, I think, what 
the scriptures want us wrestling a bit Thanks with. Thanks for unpacking it with us a little more. Thanks for wrestling with it with me a little. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and thanks for, I think, the affirmation that it's all right to sort of be... It is. Uh, yeah. And, and, and again... you found, that's what you found. You were reading Aquinas yeah. and everyone else, and that's Aquinas sort of what and you Augustine. find. Everyone's sort of... You, you told Everyone's confused. You felt like St. Thomas <laughs> was doing backflips to sort of have come up with an answer and... I think he kind of was. Especially satisfying. And well, and I don't think he was disingenuous, yeah, but no, he's trying no. to wrap his head around yeah, a really yeah. hard passage. And Aquinas loves divine law. Yeah. And what do you do? So the question becomes, what do you do when divine law looks like speed limits? Right. Because the life of Israel, like we have natural law. We talk about natural law, divine law, things that are innate. But then we also have things like drinking ages and um, separation of church and state and tax law. Like we have all the minutia. What if you live in a society where those things are not distinguishable, where they're all one and the same? Mm -hmm. And that, again, I don't have the answer for that, but it just changed the way I started thinking about law. Because it's really easy for us, I think, in the American society to kind of parse out what we mean by those. They're different things. But for them, they're not different things. And what do you do with that? How is God using stuff like arbitrary sounding drinking ages to actually demonstrate. And these were the questions these guys were working through as well. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And that's again, the question for the community, like, well, you're just saying we don't, these guys don't have to do any of this stuff, but like I had to do that. We grew up doing that. And are you just saying, is the church now saying, even this, this is post council of Jerusalem. There's still this question. Is the church just saying this isn't important anymore? Is the church saying our entire biblical heritage just doesn't matter? Like, what does that mean? What do we do? So what is the law? Is it bad? Was it just something that was meant for a punitive nature? And Paul's like, no, it was good. But hey, here's the reality. So he's he's balancing intention, the goodness of the law, and the fact that the law demonstrated how how rampant sin is and how uncontrollable sin is and how those particular laws couldn't actually solve the problem, good as they may be. Yeah. Well, Which is still not fully satisfying. No, but it's a start. This special episode of Sunday School is brought to you by Pillar Media and NTD Production. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. I'm your bewildered host. And our teacher is uh, Scott camping in his office looking through commentaries. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. Yeah.